evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. The podcast is accessible by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscan. If you've got any complaints, send them to me. If you haven't got any complaints, send them to somebody else. I'm sure you'll complain about something. Wonder what Anarchy's all about? Anarchos without rulers. It's a cultural, social, political movement that has existed since time immemorial where people try to organise their lives and and the lives of the people around them on the basis of not actually having rulers. It's a simple concept. Very simple. Around the world we have inequalities of power and wealth. It's inequalities of power and wealth which give a ruler's legitimacy. So that's simple. And obviously when you've got inequalities in power and wealth, you've got people who monopolise the instruments of power. So what's anarchism all about? Anarchism is about devolving power. It's about holding wealth in common so everybody can share in the common wealth. So to create a society of our rulers, you need to devolve power, share wealth. How do you devolve power? You can do that through direct democratic mechanisms. Not just by that way, but you can, through direct democratic mechanisms. So on this program, we talk about delegation, not representation. The difference between delegation and representation is very simple. When you represent somebody, you're given a signed black check for a particular period of time to make decisions for them. That's what we do when we vote in parliamentary elections. When you delegate somebody, what you do is you give them a specific task to be done in a specific time frame and for them to report back to the organisation or the committee or the community. And then the community, the organisation, the committee decides whether they'll extend that mandate or not. So that's what direct democracy is about. It does require participation. If people don't participate... You don't get a direct democratic society. It's that simple. It, it is, r- relies on participation. So very simple concepts. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a secondary school education. You don't even need a primary school education. And the thing about it, and so, so do anarchists wait for the magic revolutionary moment? No. An anarchist movement is based on the idea of attempting to improve people's lives in the here and now by attempting to devolve power 
and create economic infrastructure and structures which hold wealth in common. Is it a pipe dream? No. It's realistic. The pipe dream is when you put your faith in a leader or ruler to do the right thing by you. That is a pipe dream. And that is the pipe dream we have around the world today, where the world is carved up into nation states, which have their, you know, different types of mechanisms by which people are ruled. In some cases, they don't even have the opportunity to choose their rulers like we do in this country on one level. So I don't want to make this some, you know, boring philosophical program because we've got a lot of things that I want to look at today. And I think they're all important because at the end of the day, it's about devolving power, improving people's lives by holding wealth in common. Very simple concepts. Culture or capitalism? Now, those of you, and I'm sure there's not one of you who listens to the Anarchist World this week on a regular basis, have been shocked, shocked to the core by what's coming out at the truncated Royal Commission into financial institutions and the banking sector. Shocked to the core. We'll hear everybody talking about, it's a cultural problem. It's a cultural problem. They've lost their way, these poor folk. Look, boys and girls, it isn't a cultural problem. Even an idiot like me, with one synapsing neuron functioning this morning, knows it is not a cultural problem. It's about corporate capitalism. It's about capitalism. Capitalism is based on one principle and one principle alone. And that principle is to generate has much profit for the owners of a business, whether it's privately owned, owned collectively through the share market. It's about maximising profits, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. What these people are doing is exactly what you would expect a a capitalist-orientated organisation to do. They are doing what they were created to do to maximise profits for their shareholders. That is the essence. They don't maximise profits. If they're listed on the stock exchange, they go bankrupt. And if they're not listed on the stock exchange, they go bankrupt. Okay? It's simple. It is a simple concept. So it's not about culture. It's not about bad people within the banking network, the financial sector network, maybe they may be amoral, immoral, but, you know, when you've got to pay the bills, you've got to pay the bills. And some people make certain decisions to ensure their families and friends, you know, continue to live a, a reasonable lifestyle. So it's not culture. So if you want to resolve the issues you see in the financial and banking sector, we need to make radical changes to the way we are organised not minimal changes. And why has it reached such a such a extraordinary extent? It's very simple. During the last 40 years, Australians and the rest of the world have swallowed a very unpleasant stew. 
And that stew has been served up as a panacea for eternal salvation economically. And that stew is deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and corporatisation. So if you give a capitalist-based institution free reign to do what it likes, it doesn't give a shit about its customers, it doesn't care about the community, it doesn't care about the nation-state, it doesn't care about the political system, all it cares about is maximising its profits. So if you don't have breaks on their activities, you get what we have today. Even an idiot, as I said, like me, with one synapse in neuron today, you know, functioning, because that's all you need. You only need one synapse in neuron, the billions of neurons you have in your brain, to understand the basis of capitalism. Extraordinary. It's not about culture. It's about fundamental structural change, which is based on devolving power, sharing wealth. Very simple. Let's move on. Now, I find it extraordinary that here I am, a supposed, you know, radical anarchist, you know, an anarchist, maybe a radical, you know, trying to explain simple concepts which anybody, you know, involved in the capitalist economy, anybody involved in government should understand. You want a functioning capitalist society where the needs of the population are met, you need to create a mixed economy. Whoa, Joe, mixed economy? What's a mixed economy? It's very simple. There are three ways in which an economy functions. There's a capitalist economy where you're in it to make a buck, There's a public economy where the state owns owns a particular piece of infrastructure to provide a service to the community, maybe a return to that community. And then there's obviously, there's a cooperative collectivist economy. And in Australia, there is no cooperative collectivist economy. You may have 0.0000001% of the population working cooperatives and collectives. But what we've seen over the last 40 years is the destruction, the destruction of the public economy through privatisation, which in fancy, you know, it's a fancy word which means it's the institutions which were set up to provide essential services and infrastructure for the population as a whole have virtually been given away to the private sector because of this, you know, this garbage that the private sector always does it better. So what happens when you have an economy which is dominated by the private sector? You have what we have today. Simple. So if you want real competition in the marketplace, you don't actually you know, set up a little committee, give it no powers to regulate the private sector and no assets to actually enforce those regulations as we've seen currently. What you do is you set up strong public institutions. 
The state used to own the airports in Australia. The airports have been privatised and we created monopolies in each city. The state used to own electricity, gas, generation facilities and distribution networks. They've been privatised across the country. Not all of the country, most states have privatised them. And what do we see? We see the, you know, the shamozzle we have now as far as this so-called energy, national energy guarantee, garbage, you know, they've been talking about, you know, for years, you know, may become policy, where you got one group owning the generation, one group owning the distribution network, another, you know, 10 or 20 groups selling the stuff. So each section needs to make a buck. So a mixed economy is when you have public institutions competing in the marketplace against private institution. For example, why do you think, why do you think this government and previous governments have done everything they can to destroy and privatise the Australian Broadcasting Corporation? Because it is a publicly funded institution which provides a different, or used to provide, a different analysis to what was going on in the world, which was provided by the private media organisations. Now, the private media organisations would love to see the death of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, not just because it would mean that they have domination in terms of the ideological picture which they paint on a day-to-day basis, but it would mean they could maximise their profits because they don't have to compete with a public institution. So whether it's banking, whether it's electricity, whether it's gas, whether it's public housing, public nursing homes, public childcare centres, all institutions which have been swept away, public employment agencies... If you leave it to the private sector and you have no public component to compete with the private sector in the marketplace, you get what we have today. 40 cents in every taxpayer's dollar, which is given to a privately owned organisation to run a public service, whether it's distribution of social social, services, Security, whether it's Centrelink, whether it's workplace agencies, whether it's private childcare providers, you know, goes to those companies. And what you see is the small operator being squeezed out of the equation and large corporations dominating these sectors of the economy being paid by the Australian taxpayer to deliver substandard, expensive services. End of story. As I said, I have one synapse in neuron and I can work this out. Why don't you hear this discussion? These comments, the government guild at ABC or the corporate-owned media, because it doesn't suit them. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3CR, 
3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Just in case you're in Melbourne on a Wednesday night, I uh, have a little dinner to which you're all welcome to, the whole million of you listening to this program. Or is that two people? I keep forgetting. I get the figures smudged up. So if you are in Melbourne, 6pm, Wednesday night, La Pochetta, 392 Raftdown Street, Carlton North, 6 to 9pm. Come along, have a laugh, have a discussion, see some real people, touch some flesh, you know. It's about time we uh, deserted the virtual world and got back to the real world. So you're all welcome. We've got a room to ourselves. As long as you behave yourself, it'll be fine. Come along. So every Wednesday night. Now, if you're interested in what I'm talking about, there's, there's a few things you can do. Now, I, I'm the Secretary of Public Interest before Corporate Interest, which was established three years ago. And this is an organisation which uses both direct action and electoral action, that means stands candidates in elections, in order to, put the, to promote, to put the interests of the many, that's the public, before the interests of the few, the corporate sector, the one percenters. It's very simple. It's a simple concept. Simple concept. Now, we've had a lot of trouble getting enough members to register public interests before corporate interests as a political party. We currently have about 400 members on the electoral roll and about 350, 400 not on the electoral roll because, obviously, membership is open to all Australians, whether you're a permanent resident, whether you're a citizen. You know, if you're living in this country, membership is open to you. If you're not eligible to vote, fine. But we need more people on the electoral roll. We need 550 people on the electoral roll to apply for registration as a political party. Now, this, on Saturday, the 18th of August, and we will be having our second Congress. And the Congress will be held at the Unitarian Peace Memorial Church at 110 Gray Street in East Melbourne. Now, this is a Pipsy Congress. This is a Congress for members. There are two topics on the agenda. We start at 10.30am and finish about 3.34pm. And the topics on the agenda is putting a case to public interest before corporate interests to support, coordinate, activate the public housing, everybody's business, 10-day rally, which will be held on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House from Wednesday the 14th of November to the 24th of November. This is a long campaign to bring public housing to the fore, and I'll discuss this in a minute. Obviously, a little bit of lunch. We encourage people to bring some food to share because we ain't got the money to feed you. And in the afternoon, our policy coordinating committee will be uh, giving a report on how far they've gone in terms of formulating policy. So observers are welcome. You can see us fight amongst each other. You can see we're just a group of human beings trying to change things, okay, for the better, improve people's lives. We're based on two two concepts. One, putting the interests of the many before the interests of the few, and two, we are an inclusive organisation. Unlike what you see on the Senate crossbenches today, where people are excluded from Australian society because they're ethnicity, race, colour, religion... We are an inclusive organisation. And there are two constitutional, you know, pillars 
So you're welcome to come as an observer, and if you join on the day and it doesn't cost anything to join, well, you can also participate in the discussion. So come along. Now, if you want to join and you can't come on the day and you're listening to this program anywhere in this fair land, including the Cocos Islands, because the program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au, you can download the application form to join public interest before corporate interest by going to pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Or you can come along to the dinners every Wednesday night at uh, La Pochetta, 392 Raftown Street, Carlton North, and you can join there. Or you can um, give me a call on 0439 395 489. Leave a name and a contact address or email address and we'll send you out the stuff. Or if you can't be bothered with all this technical crap, you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. While I'm talking about writing, I'd like to thank all those people that have sent in $1 stamps to ensure the 800 members of PIPSI actually got their uh, information via mail. We find that when we do it by the email, a lot of people don't get messages for a variety of reasons, including that people, you know, there's so much junk mail and crap on the net these days. So at least this way we know everybody has that invitation to attend the PIPSI Congress. Now, we do need more $1 stamps. We'll be doing another mass mail-out the next few weeks or the next few months to the 400 members who are not in the electoral roll to see whether we've got their details correct or whether they would like to get themselves on the electoral roll. Okay, let's move on. That's the Pipsy Congress. Now, things are a little bit interesting in the world today because of the rise of authoritarianism, the rise of a strong leader, the man with the answers. And it's quite interesting how scum kind of tend to stick together. And it's fascinating to see Mr. Uh, president Groper, the president of the land of the brave and the free, you know, cozying up to some of the most, uh, you know, interesting dictators in the world. And there's been a little bit of a skirmish in the last week, which most people aren't aware of, which is quite fascinating. Now, you know that feudal monarchy, America's number two ally after Israel in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, you know that little feudal monarchy, has been arresting activists, women activists. You know, you've got to arrest those bloody women if they're a little bit getting a bit stroppy and jailing them. And uh, most of the world hasn't given a shit because, you know, they're just women, aren't they, who want to drive. But the Canadian Foreign Ministry put out a little tweet on the 3rd of August... that was gravely concerned about the number of human rights activists in Saudi Arabia who have been arrested and imprisoned in the last few months. Now, Samwa Balwali, one of the more prominent uh, female activists currently in our Saudi prison, has got relatives in Canada, and obviously her relatives contacted the Canadian government, and the Canadian government put out this little bland little statement. Little statement... Middle of nowhere, nobody cared. Guess what? In Saudi Arabia, they got really nasty. 
they recall the Canadian ambassador. Sorry, they expel the Canadian ambassador and recall their own ambassador. But it gets better. They then cancel flights since the 3rd of August. Then they cancel flights to Canada. The state-owned airline cancel flights to Canada. You thought, oh, well, then <laughs> they put a freeze on new trade and investment. And then they instructed the feudal monarchists, you know, the new wannabes, wannabe, when, what, wallabies, <laughs> I got that wrong, instructed their central bank and state pension fund to vest themselves of all Canadian assets, irrespective of the cost. And then they issued a directive to the 15,000 Saudi Arabian students studying in Canada to come home now. And they accused Canada, because they put a little statement, guilty of an overt and blatant interference in the internal affairs of the kingdom. And guess what? The leader of the brave and the free, President Grape of the United States of America, nothing. Nothing. So here they are saying to people, look, mate, you criticise us, We'll put the economic squeeze on you. Look at what's happened to Turkey and uh, old Groper, you know? You don't do what we want, we'll put the economic squeeze on you. We'll try to bankrupt you, boy. And let's not forget, Saudi Arabia is the main financer of Muslim extremism, jihadists around the world. Number one financer. Number one financer. It supports, the United States of America supports the Saudi war in Yemen. Where thousands of people, mainly women and children, have been killed in this war, which is supported by the United States, which has just signed a $110 billion defence contract to send to sell the Saudis more military equipment. And the United States of America also supports the Saudi trade ban on its neighbour, Qatar. I just thought I'd put it in there. Fascinating. And obviously we see, you know, economic blockades, economic bans, whether it's Venezuela whether it's North Korea, whether it's Iran, whether it's Turkey. But the good thing about the Groper is he seems to be more interested in his friends than enemies. But that's that's. I just thought I'd just throw that in today. Why not? A little bit of interesting overseas news. Hasn't been front-page news. Hasn't been a leading topic in... Uh, maybe it is in Canada, but not in the rest of the world. This is the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, I'd like to talk about the Australian Farming Federation because currently, obviously, there's a major drought in Queensland and a major drought in New South Wales and a drought beginning in parts of Victoria and South Australia. And it could be, and most likely it is, that we're going to see more of this as climate change um, becomes 
m- more of a threat? Because you see, climate change doesn't actually respect national boundaries. It's you know, it's not very good. It doesn't stop at the boundary. So I thought I thought look at the National Farming Federation, which is supposedly the organisation which represents and supports farmers. And you've got to remember, farmers are still the backbone of the National Party, which is basically an off. You know, the the National Farmers Federation is basically. You know, an offshoot of the corporate agribusiness. Now, 10 years ago, that's a decade ago, not long, 10 years ago, there were 130,000 farms farmers in Australia. That's not much for a population of 25 million, 130,000 farms. A decade later, the number of farms has decreased to 86,000. That's 44,000 farms. That's an average of, what's that? 40, no, no, what's that? An average of 12 farms a day have disappeared. That's 40, that's 33%. And what happens in these situations is that agribusiness, corporate farming, sees the drought as an opportunity to consolidate its stranglehold on agriculture and force out the small farmer from agriculture. Now, you would think that the National Party and the National Farmers Federation would be jumping up and down about this, no, the National Farming Federation opposes subsidies going to farmers and it also believes that this drought and future droughts are a great opportunity to consolidate agriculture in Australia in the hands of a diminishing number of corporations. And you say, so what, Joe? How does it affect me? Well, these people, these corporations, rely on cheap labour to survive. So it affects a lot of Australians. It affects a lot of Australians. So next time you see good old Barnaby or any other National Party stalwarts crapping on about how much they love the farming sector. Why don't you ask them a few hard questions about what are they doing about the shrinking farming sector? What are they doing about small farmers being squeezed out by agribusiness? What are they doing about the National Farmers Federation, which is nothing more than apologists for agribusiness in this country? And I'll tell you what they're doing. Nothing. As a political party, they've lost the plot. They've totally lost the plot. And the problem is the void that's been created by them becoming apologists for corporate farming has basically been the recruiting ground for one you know, Hanson's One Nation and Catter's Party. And we've seen what that leads to in the last few weeks, haven't we? You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network.
Now, it's fascinating, isn't it, how as a society we all got upset in the last day or so about some pipsqueak in the Senate, some one nation has been, who's now joined the Bob Catter party, whatever that is, sprouting off about the the glorious past, the white Australia policy, and the list goes on and on, you know, the usual dribble that used to be part and parcel of life in this country. And everybody says, oh, oh, this is horrible. This is terrible. This man needs to be put back in his box. And I'm thinking to myself, Haven't we seen in the corporate-owned media, and to a lesser extent in the government guild at ABC, on social media especially, radio, television, paid TV, you name it, one of the most extraordinary attacks that I've seen in my lifetime on one segment of the community? Because individuals behave badly within a community for a variety of reasons. We have as a community, especially in social media and talkback radio, corporate talkback radio, and the Murdoch media especially, we've seen us, you know, the big boys, point the finger and say every bloody African in this country is responsible for it. Every Sudanese is responsible for it. Every southern Sudanese is responsible for it. They, as a group, are guilty because individuals are behaving badly in your community. It's been the hue and cry because politicians at the state and federal level thinks there's a bit of a few votes in dog whistling the senator's supporters. That somehow it'll push them over the line if we divide the nation on the basis of race. Now, obviously, the individuals behave badly in all groups. Individuals of all sexual orientations behave badly. Individuals of all races behave badly. And sometimes you will see individuals within particular communities band together and behave badly. I remember the good old days when, you know, every Italian 60 years ago was considered to be a member of the mafia. You know? And every German who came after the war was a Nazi. And the list goes on and on. But the thing is that this has been used, this is what creates the climate within a community which allows the good senator from the Catus Party to spout this crap in his maiden speech. 
we have created that environment over the last few years by isolating, marginalising one section of our society because certain individuals within that community behave badly without remembering that individuals within all sections of society behave badly for a variety of reasons. So we have created this monster. We have allowed this monster to grow because to divide and rule is a beautiful way in which to divert people's attention from the very real issues that face us as individuals and as communities because wealth and power is concentrated in the hands of a very small minority that is growing more and more powerful every day. Now, I've been around a long time and I mix in a lot of circles and I see a lot of people and talk to a lot of people every week through my work, through the activities I'm involved in and because I can be a gregarious individual. And it's been a long time since I have seen such visceral, gut-wrenching racism directed against a particular group in our society, the African community, people who've got African background, not the African community, people of African background who may have been born here. It is visceral and gut-wrenching. People I would never have expected to have a racist bone in their body have come out with the most appalling material because of the saturation, the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365 days a year, 366 years, 366 days a year, saturation in social media of so-called facts which are blatant lies that have nothing to do with everyday reality. Nothing to do with everyday reality. So people in one of the most peaceful countries and communities on the planet live in dread and fear. A dread and fear which has been manufactured, manufactured to suit the political agenda of parties that are trying to harvest votes by creating fear and dissension in our communities. I'm not saying there aren't any problems. Obviously there are problems. Every day there are problems. But you make these problems worse by what is happening today. I'll give you an example. 20 years ago, in Burundi, in Central Africa, there was a massacre where the Hutus, which was a particular group, slaughtered the Tutsis. And over 900,000 people were slaughtered with machetes and hammers, men, women and children, thrown into rivers that became so distended with bodies 
that the rivers stopped flowing and the blood and bits of human flesh went down those rivers for weeks. And this happened in a six-week period. And while obviously there were precipitating causes, but how was this hatred fanned? How was it, how was this, how was it created? It was created through radio. Because radio as a medium is immediate. I'm talking to you. You're listening. Making a cup of tea. Sound a lot of bullshit I'm talking about. Oh, isn't that interesting? Create this aura of hatred against the other. And that's what we have seen in our community over the last two years, especially over the last six months, where radio, especially corporate-owned radio, privately-owned radio, has been feeding off garbage which is presented as fact in social media. And the difference between today and 20 years ago is it is constant. It is there constantly, 24 hours a day. There is no relief from the hatred, the lies. And we have allowed this situation to occur because it's spilled over into the corporate media and political debate because we think, they think, not we, they think somehow by dividing and ruling us that they will continue to you know, exercise authority in this country. Think about it. Just think about it. I don't give a. I don't care what Edding says in Parliament or outside Parliament. I mean, he's an idiot. My apologies to you know, idiots. I'm sorry for comparing you to him. But what I care about, what I really care about, is the fact that we have created. We have allowed this to occur and we need to stand up and it was good to see seven mayors from the city of Melbourne where most of the African Australian community lives stand up and say enough is enough enough is enough individuals behave badly you prosecute individuals you don't blame communities I remember in the 50s and 60s when I was a lad as an Italian how difficult it was Every Italian was a member of the mafia. When we're talking about a small, you know, it's a very minimal group of people. Just extraordinary. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. I mean, the next segment is really Victorian focused, but it has an imp- it has implications for everybody in this country. Housing affordability. Housing affordability on every available indicator. Housing affordability is an issue in Australia in 2018 because housing, through government legislation, through negative gearing and through investment-friendly laws, Housing has been made into a commodity. It has been made into a speculative market. Two million Australians own more than one home. That's right, two million. Legally minimising their tax by buying a second home and renting it out. 
we now have the ludicrous situation in this country where only about a third of people own their own home outright, a third of paying off a mortgage, you know, for million-dollar homes, three-bedroom homes in nondescript suburbs in the major capital cities, and a third are forced to rent. And the tragedy is the number of people who are entering home ownership is actually decreasing while the number of people who are renting is increasing. And the dilemma with renting, as you know, is there's no security. No security. You may have a year's you know, tenancy agreement, lease, but there is no security. Even during that period, you could be forced to move. How can you raise a family in a situation where you can't alter things in the house, you can't put pictures on a bloody wall, you can't have pets, where you're paying 30 to 40% of your income you know, for the rent, you're expected to survive in this situation. I mean, housing is a right. It is not a, you know, it's a right. Access to safe, affordable, secure housing is a right. So why do we find ourselves in this situation? After the Second World War, when returned servicemen and women returned from the war, they demanded, because there was a housing crisis, they demanded the state intervene. And the state intervened by creating public housing, by building public housing. It intervened. And up to 25 years ago, you had a strong public housing sector in Victoria, which is one of the states I'm, the state I'm familiar with, as I'm broadcasting from Victoria, via the community radio network to the rest of Australia. And around 15% of Australians were living in public house, 15% of Victorians were living in public housing. Today it's less than 3%. Less than 3%. So as the public housing sector shrunk, the private housing sector grew and as speculators, both overseas and local speculators, began to dominate the market where one in two auctions you know, was brought by a speculator, we found there was increasing prices and increasing pressures on individuals. For example, over the last 20 years, housing prices in the major capital cities have increased by 400%. Wages haven't increased by 400%, but housing prices have. So how do we solve this issue? How do we solve this issue? How do we tackle this issue? Because it's fundamental to every Australian. Now, in Victoria, the Liberal National Party wants to fight the next state election on the 24th of November on a law and order campaign, generate fear in the community, fill up the jails, throw away the keys and bingo, we will become the next government. And the other side, in the other corner, in this, you know, three round or 10 round battle or 15 round, you know, fight, on the other side of the corner is the alternative Liberal Party masquerading as Australian Labor Party led by Mr Daniel Andrews himself. They're all about building infrastructure. 
privately owned infrastructure, publicly owned infrastructure, billions of dollars building tunnels, doing this, building car parks, extending roads, giving, you know, Transurban a free kick in terms of, you know, uh, extending its monopoly on the tunnel for another 20 years because it's going to build another bloody tunnel. Yes, here we are. This is it, boys and girls. This is it. The big fight, the big fight, the big 15-round fight, and you, the electors of Victoria, on the 24th of November, you will choose between law and order and infrastructure. I'm so excited. I'm sure all the listeners to the Anarchist World this week are so excited by this looming battle between these two intellects. (sighs) So excited. Well, we don't think this is the issue. Public interest before corporate interest doesn't think it's the issue. Friends of public housing don't believe this is the issue. The major issue everybody in the Victorian election should be concentrating on is housing affordability. And under the slogan public housing, everybody's business, we will change the focus of this election. I know it sounds grandiose, doesn't it? You and me, together, we will change the focus from law and order and infrastructure to housing affordability by conducting a campaign that will put public housing to the fore of any debate at the state election on the 24th of November. Now, obviously, you think that by now that I've lost all my marbles, maybe you're right. Maybe I have lost all my marbles. Maybe because my megalomaniac tendencies have come out. eh? I've lost all my marbles. How can some minuscule, marginalised, irrelevant person like you, Toscano, and the people who listen to the Anarchist World this week, and the people who go to the website, anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.net, you know, and the list goes on and on, how could people like you actually influence the election? Well, obviously we'll stand candidates, but those candidates won't stand a chance. But what we'll be doing is we'll be bringing direct action to the fore at this parliamentary election on the 24th of November. We will be holding a 10-day peaceful vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House from the 14th of November to the 24th of November to ensure that public housing, everybody's business, becomes the single most important issue of this election. Because we think it's time that this housing affordability crisis is taken seriously. And we need your support. You can come for one hour or two hours or ten hours. If we get 50 people, well, nobody cares. If we get 100 people, nobody cares. If we get 500 people and we start to spill out into Spring Street, they start to care. We get 1,000 people, they've got a problem. We get 50,000 people, the course of this election will change. So tell your friends about it. Go to the Facebook page, Public Interest, Public Interest, Everybody's Business, Public Interest, Everybody's Business. 
And what's our platform? Very simple. Not a radical revolutionary platform, which you'd expect in the anarchist world this week. A very simple platform. Quarantine stamp duty revenue for public housing. $6.5 billion was collected from stamp duty, which is a tax you pay when you buy buy a bloody house. Quarantine for public housing. You can spot purchase or build 25,000 new units and houses every year and house 100,000 Victorians within a year. That's the end of the waiting list. And you can house a million Victorians in public housing within a decade. Doesn't take a revolution. Doesn't take blood in the streets. All it takes is a change in a political direction and a vote in the Legislative Assembly and the Legislative Council to quarantine stamp duty revenue for public housing. You put pressure on the private housing sector, rents decrease at the lower end of the markets, investors go out, housing prices at the lower end of the markets fall, more people buy housing, and bingo, housing affordability is solved. Simple. As I said, I have one synapsing neuron working today from the billions that are in my cranium. Well, not cranium, but cerebral cortex, okay? The cranium's the skull. No synapsing neurons in the skull, right? And I can work it out. So take the 10 days off. Join us on the vigil. And I hear plans that they're going to put a fence around Parliament. If they put a fence around Parliament, we don't care. We'll do it on the street. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. You can become a member of Pipsy, download the application for Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Go to anarchistmedia.org. Go to, um, go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Go to Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Go to the Facebook page, Public Housing Everybody's Business Facebook page, and the list goes on and on and on. It's up to you. I can only, you know, talk, try to organise, but eventually it's up to you. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via those kind, wonderful people at the Community Radio Network. That address, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Yes, I answer letters. The phone number, 04. 39395489. The website's pipsy.net, anarchistmedia.org. Go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!